Well, good morning, everybody. It's so great to see you here. Luke, you had me at donuts, all right? And a special welcome to those who are joining us online. Uh, since you're not here in person, I'll have your donut for you, okay? And so we're looking forward to a, a great time on the patio afterward. Uh, before we open God's Word, I've got some good news. You want to hear some good news? It's always great to hear good news. We know that God is faithful, and we know that God provides. He provides in any season, in every season. We have confidence in that. We just want to give you the great news that uh, our church ended 2021 in the positive. Yes. And, and I want to share with you two important factors that went into that. God used, one, your generosity, and two, the faithful stewardship of our leaders. Combined, those two factors allowed our church to end 2021 about $40,000 in the positive. Yes. And that is wonderful news because, you know, our world has experienced uh, incredible challenges. And for the last two years, we've experienced that. And churches across the world have been faced with those challenges. And so uh, we are just so thankful to God that he continues to not only maintain and sustain his church, but to, to see it thrive. And so we, uh, on behalf of the leaders of our church, thank you for your generosity. And we encourage everyone to step out in even greater faith in 2022. We believe, we're confident, we trust that God has incredible big plans for 2022, and we want to be part of that. So thank you, church. Thank you, church, for playing your part in that. And so God bless you. This morning, the title of this morning's service, our sermon is uh, Changed for the Good. I'm sorry, Changed for Good. Changed for Good. And I have a, a question for us all be, before we open God's Word. And the question is this, and I want you to play along by raising your hand if this applies to you. If you're watching online, you could uh, do a thumbs up or you can comment. The question for all of us this morning is this, how many of you have an article of clothing in your closet that you have not worn in over two years? <laughs> You're like, oh, that's easy. Okay, so the vast majority of us have at least one article of clothing in our closet that we have not put on in the last two years. Okay, ready? Over five years. Can I see your hands? Okay, good. Thank you for your honesty. Because I don't want to be the only one. So I appreciate your honesty. So some of us, many of us, have something in our closet that we have not put on in over five years. Okay, ready? Ten years? Okay, good. Good. Thank you. Now, don't raise your hand on this one, okay? I don't want to embarrass you too much. But how many have an article of clothing in your closet that you have no intention of wearing, but you just cannot get rid of? Okay, don't raise your hand. I'm sure 
we have something in our closet that we just don't ever think we'll wear. How about this one? Maybe you have something in your closet that you just don't want to get rid of because you think it's going to come back in style at some point in the future. <laughs> yeah. now, now, I get it, okay? Fashion is cyclical. So certainly there are items in our closets that will come back in style at some point. Most of those we may not be able to fit into at that time, all right? Our closets are very fascinating. You know, our closets, they reveal a lot about ourselves. You know, for those of us uh, who are gathered here in person, you had to make a decision this morning that those watching online didn't have to make. And that is, what am I going to wear? What am I going to wear to church today? We cannot underestimate the impact of clothing. You know, clothing can make a statement. Clothing communicates something about ourselves. You know, the Bible talks so much about clothing, and specifically spiritual clothing. So as we continue in this series, made new, okay, changes, growth, maturity, made new, we want to look into the Word of God and see what the Bible has to say about the subject of spiritual clothing. So I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Colossians 3, 12 through 14. And we'll see how this passage applies to our sermon, Changed for Good. In Colossians 3, the Apostle Paul writes this, starting in verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. As followers of Jesus Christ, at the point of salvation, we were given a brand new wardrobe. Did you know that our spiritual closets changed when we gave our lives to Jesus? It's like this. We got to go on a shopping spree, but we didn't have to pay for any of it. That's what happened at the point of salvation. I mean, wouldn't it be wonderful to go on a shopping spree and not spend a dime because it's already been purchased for you? Back in 2014, when I went through my uh, own personal health transformation, I had to replace 100% of my wardrobe. 100%. Nothing, I'm talking nothing, fit anymore. So I had to go out and purchase an entire new wardrobe. The funny thing is this. When I opened my closet... <laughs> I still have items from pre-2014 that I have no intention of wearing ever again, but they're just taking up space. They're hanging there. They're collecting dust, collecting holes. And so for me, the sermon was a good reminder that it's time to clean out that closet. It's time for us to rid ourselves 
of all those old clothes from our past. They don't fit anymore. They will not come back in style. Some of you may be familiar with the name Marie Kondo. Marie Kondo is this organizing expert, this consultant. She's written many books. She has shows on a streaming network, very popular worldwide, Marie Kondo. And what she does is she goes into people's homes and she helps them get rid of certain items that they don't need. And her motto is this. And I kind of like the motto. I think it's kind of catchy. And her motto is, if it doesn't spark joy, just get rid of it. I think she's on to something there. In Colossians 3, verses 12 through 14, what we see is we see articles of spiritual clothing that will promote a spiritually healthy and joyful environment, not only for ourselves, in fact, not even for ourselves, but more importantly, for those around us. And Paul talks about these articles of spiritual clothing, such as compassion and kindness and humility. He talks about gentleness and patience and forgiveness, and then he talks about love. Now, I want you to picture love to be this giant winter parka. Like many of you went up to the snow in recent days, you found your giant winter parka. Love is like this parka that binds all those other articles of spiritual clothing together. Now, I want you to know this, that Paul did not just grab this list out of the air, just out of the blue, for no reason whatsoever. He's comparing this list with a list that came in the preceding verses. So look at verses 8 through 10 now. In Colossians 3, verses 8 through 10, Paul says this, But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. He says, toss them off for good. They don't fit anymore. They will never come back in style. Don't worry about storing them in the back of your closet. You'll never, ever need them ever again. They have no place in your life. Now, I know the reality is this, that we are prone to losing our temper at times. I know that. And yes, we're not always as patient as we'd like to be. But did you know that as followers of Jesus Christ, we have no excuse. We have no excuse for those things because the Word of God tells us that we are a new creation. We have been made new, as a sermon series title says. The old has passed away, the new has come. We have a new nature, and our new nature comes with a brand new wardrobe. Last week, when we kicked off our series, I asked you a question. It was an important question. And the question was this. Can a person change? Think about that question. Can a person really change? 
And the cynical side of us often says, no, that person's never going to change. He is who he is. She is who she is. That person is just too set in his or her way. That person's never going to change. Are you familiar with the uh, saying, you can't teach an old dog new tricks? And the idea is this, that you can't make people change their established patterns of opinion or behavior. He'll never change. She will never change. Now, let me pause here. I want to make this very personal, okay? Let's not even think about anybody else. Just think about yourself. Have you ever asked yourself this question? Can I change? Have you ever thought to yourself, you know what? This is just who I am. I am impatient by nature. It's the way I'm wired. How about this? Well, you know, I'm just a half glass or glass half empty kind of person. That's just me. That's how I'm wired. Or how about this? You know, I just say whatever's on my mind, even if it gets me in trouble. That's just who I am. That's the way I'm wired. Or how about this one? Have you ever asked or even thought to yourself, you know what? It's my parents' fault. I am who I am because of my parents. I learned from them. It's their fault. Now, I know that we all grew up in our respective environments, and I know this. I know that many walk around with emotional and mental scars from their upbringing. I know that. And I know that overcoming challenges and overcoming those scars, they can be a very daunting task. But I want you to think for a moment. If we say to ourselves, I can't change. I'm the product of my environment. It's my parents' fault. If we go through life thinking that, here's what we're really thinking. God, you are not greater than my parents. God, you are not more powerful than the environments that impacted my life. You see, when we read these spiritual articles of clothing that Paul mentions in Colossians 3, compassion and kindness and humility, gentleness and patience and forgiveness and love, I want you to consider the most important fact about that list. And the most important fact about that list actually comes in the verses or the words that precede those words. It comes in the words as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. We sang about that earlier. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. 
The idea is this. The spiritual articles of clothing, compassion and kindness and humility and so on, those are all examples of what we would call practical holiness. And practical holiness always stems from a positional holiness in that order. Positional holiness first, and then practical holiness next. In other words, in order for us to effect change in our lives, we must first understand that change can happen in our lives because of our standing before God, our position before God. The root concept of holiness, it was actually introduced to us for the very first time in a strange setting in the Old Testament. It was introduced to us in a bush, a burning bush. In your Bibles, turn to Exodus chapter 3 and look at verses 1 through 5. Exodus 3, 1 through 5. And starting in verse 1, we read these words. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses! And Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. This is the first example of holiness that we see. In the Bible, it's introduced to us, and of all places, a bush, a burning bush. Now, the question is this. How can ground be made holy? God says, you're standing on holy ground. If Moses had scooped up a handful of sand from the holy ground, and then went over here and scooped up another handful of sand from the unholy ground, would he have noticed any difference between the two handfuls? Physically? Absolutely not. If he took these two handfuls back to his tent and studied them closely under a microscope, would he have seen a difference? Absolutely not. Now, since nothing in the physical essence of the sand changed, then why did God call it holy? Well, the root concept of holiness lies in the word separation. The ground became holy simply because God set it aside as a place where he would reveal himself to Moses. In a sense, all the rest of the desert remained unholy because God did not choose it as a place that he would have a conversation with Moses. So we cannot understand the concept of holiness without first recognizing that holiness begins with separation. That's why Paul referred to the Colossians as God's chosen, his separated people. 
holy and dearly loved. If you were here last week, we said that those who competed in the Greek games, they didn't compete in order to gain citizenship. In order to compete in the Greek games, they had to first be citizens. There's a fascinating book in the Old Testament. Now, on the surface, it may not sound very fascinating because it's a tedious book. There are a lot of rules and mandates and regulations. It's the Old Testament book of Leviticus. And while it might seem tedious on the surface when you read it, if we understand the purpose of Leviticus, it begins to make sense why there are so many commandments. The purpose of Leviticus was to remind a disobedient people to live according to their holy calling. That was the purpose of this fascinating book, to remind a disobedient people to live according to their holy calling. In other words, the purpose was to align their practical holiness with their positional holiness. You see, they had been called out by God. But for hundreds of years, what happened was their view of God became distorted. So God was bringing his people back to him. And there's a fascinating example of this bringing back of this people. Go to Leviticus 19, verse 19. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, the third book in the Old Testament. Leviticus 19, verse 19 says this. Keep my decrees. Do not mate different kinds of animals. Do not plant your field with two kinds of seed. Do not wear clothing woven of two kinds of material. You know, when the nation of Israel, when they were called out as God's holy nation, God outlined some rather unusual ways for them to demonstrate their position. And it was necessary because, again, for 400 years of captivity in Egypt, their view of God became distorted. They were influenced by polytheism, paganism, and their view of God had become clouded. Now, in this fascinating book called Leviticus, there's one phrase that's repeated over and over and over. In fact, in chapters 11 through 27, nearly 50 times, this one phrase is repeated. It's the phrase, I am the Lord. I am the Lord. I am the Lord, your God. But why would God repeat himself like that over and over again? It's because he was correcting the Israelites' distorted view of him. In a sense, he was performing spiritual cataract surgery. Did you know that most cataracts develop very slowly over time? It doesn't, doesn't happen just overnight. And here's how it happens. Over time, reading becomes harder. 
And then you have to start getting reading glasses. Over time, driving at nighttime becomes much more difficult. And for some, over time, they even have trouble recognizing facial expressions on their loved ones' faces. That's what was happening to the nation of Israel. For hundreds of years in captivity, their view of God became distorted, and God was doing a spiritual cataract surgery. And that's why he was bringing them back to purity. You see, part of the ceremonial laws included the need to remain pure. So they could not sow two different kinds of seed in the field. They could not wear two different types of material. Now, my question is this. Is it wrong for us to wear a poly cotton blend today? No. It's great. They're comfortable. But I want you to put yourself back in the shoes of an Israelite at that time. When they woke up in the morning and they stood before the mirror and when they put on that pure wool garment, it was a reminder of their covenant with God. Now, they didn't put something on so that they would become something. They were someone. And by putting on this garment every single morning, it reminded them of their purity before God. If you were here last week, we talked about the three stages of salvation. At the point of salvation, when we gave our lives to Jesus, we were justified. That happened only once in the past. It won't happen over and over again. Now in the future, we will be glorified. Part of that glorification process includes being given a brand new incorruptible body. Those are like the uh, nice, enjoyable parts of salvation. The hardest part of salvation is the sanctification process. It's the hardest part that you and I will ever experience. Because for our lifetime on earth, it involves so many ups and downs. It is the hardest stage in the journey for the follower of Jesus Christ. Because reality sometimes, doesn't it feel like we're not growing sometimes? Have you ever faced a stage in your life where you just felt like you were not growing spiritually? And for some, Maybe we've experienced times in our lives where we thought, wow, we're actually going backwards. I'm sure every one of us here can think of at least one area of our lives that we seem to struggle with time and time and time again. And sometimes it might just feel like we are stuck in our old bad habits. Maybe for some, you struggle with anger. Maybe you have outbursts of anger. Maybe for some, it might be speaking poorly about people constantly behind their backs. Slander, gossip. Maybe for some, it might be just a critical spirit, always complaining. And maybe for others, it might be a vice 
some practice that has held you down in your walk with God? Do you find yourself having bouts of anger? Do you find yourself constantly speaking poorly of others? Having a critical spirit? Do you find yourself constantly being defeated by your vice? Here's a question for you. Do we find ourselves justifying and rationalizing and minimizing our outbursts and our impatience and our slander and gossip? That person deserved it. That person tried my patience. I couldn't help it. I'm only human. How many times have we said that to ourselves? I'm only human. I was hungry. That's it. I was hungry. And I got angry because I was hangry. We try to minimize and rationalize and justify our sin. I want to take you back, way back, to the beginning, to the garden. You don't have to turn there to Genesis. But I want to take you back to the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve disobeyed God, they realized for the very first time something. Oh, we're naked. Now my question is, were they naked before they sinned? Yes. But it didn't bother them. But when they disobeyed God at that moment, they became ashamed of themselves and of the other. And they're like, whoa, we got to find some fig leaves. And then they tried to hide from God, which is kind of funny. Because then uh, the Bible says, God said, Adam, Adam, where are you? <laughs> right? As if God didn't know where Adam was. God knew exactly where Adam was. And not only did Adam and Eve try to hide from God, here's what they did. They took it one step further. You know what they did? They started playing the blame game. So Adam said to God, oh, it was, it was the woman. <laughs> Go get her. But he didn't stop there. He said, it was the woman you gave me. So God, you're the one responsible. And then Eve, she blamed the serpent. Church, I get it. And I said it before. We all grew up in our respective environments. And many of us have emotional and mental scars that we have to overcome. But again, So many of our problems would be solved if we simply owned up to our wrongdoings instead of blaming others or blaming our situation. Anger, gossip, slander, a critical spirit, these are all marks of our former self. 
as we become more Christ-like. In other words, as we become progressively sanctified, God's desire is that we move further and further away from our old self. Yes, we will still sin. Yes, we will still give in to temptation because we're still in the maturing process. But remember, we've been freed from the bondage of sin. As followers of Jesus Christ, we have the Holy Spirit within us, and He has the power to affect change in our lives. If a life of disobedience marked us prior to coming to faith, then a life of obedience describes us as a child of God. Next week, we're going to talk about some practical ways that we can see holiness in our lives. We'll talk about what practical holiness looks like. Now, I want to give you a hint. Uh, rooted is one of those. And if you're still thinking about it, and if you've not gone through Rooted, come here at 3.30 today. I think you'll be encouraged. The bottom line is this. In order for us to affect change, it's going to involve some other people in our lives as well. And that's the beauty of community. But before we close our time today, I have a favor to ask. If you have experienced some change in your life, Think about your life, and maybe you had a certain struggle. Maybe a struggle with anger management. Maybe a a certain vice. Something in your life. If you have experienced change in your life, God got a hold of something in your life, and he changed it for good. Can you do me a favor? Can you email me this week and share your story with me? Because I want to be encouraged. I think it's encouraging when other people hear about stories of change in our lives. And so as we prepare for next Sunday's very practical lesson on practical holiness, I would love to hear some of your stories of change in your life. Maybe that change took place from the moment you gave your life to Christ. Or maybe that change came years after. Maybe you've been, for, maybe, maybe you've been a Christian for many years, but in recent years, God got a hold of your life in a certain area. I would love to hear about how God has changed some area of your life so we can encourage others as well. Would you email me this week? I would love to hear that. This past week, I was in my car in the Costco gas line. You've all been there, you know. Costco gas lines are like Disneyland ride lines, but without fast pass. And we all know that Costco gas lines are long. Now, you probably already know that certain Costco gas lines are even longer than other Costco gas lines, right? If they have three pumps versus two pumps, right? And depending on where they're located in that particular city, on that particular street, The one that I frequent most, because it's between here and home, is the Chino Hills Costco. Yes. (laughs) 
You feel my pain. (laughs) It's gotten so long at the Chino Hills Costco gas line that in recent months they've had to put up barriers and signs and attendance directing traffic. Now, you might know this. There's a certain etiquette when you get into a Costco gas line. You, you, you have to just enter from a certain location and direction from the street. You just can't just go on in. So there I was this past week in my car at the signal, just about ready to turn right to get into the Costco gas line. But the line often you know, kind of bleeds all the way out. So I'm at the corner. And it's my turn to go. Yes, it was, it was my turn to go when a car from the other side comes right in front of me. Now, don't get ahead of me. Do you know what happened? Here's what went through my mind. I had this overwhelming sense of peace. And at that moment, I thanked God that he had changed my impatient driving. Because for so many years of my life, I was the most impatient driver. Everywhere I drove, Come on! Why are you getting into that lane? Why aren't you signaling? Why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? Why'd you do that? For so many years of my life of driving, I couldn't help myself, and I would just make comments to every driver out there. But some years ago, God really got a hold of that part of my life, and he completely changed it. And so as I sat there in my car, this past week, when that guy just cut right in front of me, I thought, in years past, I would have honk! I would have thrown my arms up in the air. What are you doing? And this overwhelming sense of peace came over me. And I thanked God that he, he changed that part of my life. And here's the best part of the story. The guy who went in front of me, he actually then eventually turned right into the America's Tire, if you know that location. So he wasn't actually cutting in front of me to get into the gas line ahead of me. And so if I had jumped to conclusions and thought, what are you doing? I would have felt miserable. But I share that because for so long in my life, that was a a, a big sin. It was a struggle in my life that that I was so impatient. And if I think about it, if as a follower of Jesus Christ, people know us because of our outbursts of anger, if people know us as the person who's always criticizing, as followers of Jesus Christ, if, if people just associate us with impatience 
and anger and resentment. What kind of testimony is that? And so I want us to know that God is more powerful than our past. He's more powerful than our parents. He's more powerful than our environments. He's even more, more powerful than even the worst experiences in our lives. So can a person change? Absolutely. Because as followers of Jesus Christ, we are a new creation. I want to leave you with one final verse. Just dwell on this. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Just take a look up here. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. We've been changed for good. Amen. Amen. Would you bow with me? Father, I, I know that this life of sanctification here on earth is a long one, and we struggle. We fall short so often. But God, help us not to give in to just our situations. Help us not to make excuses. Help us to be reminded to live according to our holy calling. Positionally, we are holy before you. Practically, you desire for us to grow, to be more like Jesus every day. Help us to do that, Lord. I pray, Father, for myself and for my friends here that we would examine our lives this week. And maybe there's even one area of our lives that you've spoken to. Maybe the Holy Spirit has convicted us in one specific area. We ask that you would work on that area this week and that we would be able to experience a wonderful progress report that by the end of this week and the next and the following, that we will be made more like Jesus. You've made us new. Now continue to grow us in Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.